0: Welcome to the Davenport Pulse, a podcast aimed at connecting citizens to their local government. Together, we will explore important issues impacting our neighborhoods and community through conversations with residents, city staff, and elected officials.
1: Davenport is the urban pulse at the heart of the Quad Cities, rich in history and character, where folks with the Midwest mentality plant personal and professional roots. Come explore with us the people, places, and programs that make Davenport home.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Davenport Pulse. Today, we have Captain Ron Burchette with us. He is a part of the Hazardous Materials Division over at the Davenport Fire Department. Thanks for joining us today, Ron.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we're happy to have you here. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we dive into questions?
2: Well, I've been on the Davenport Fire Department for 30 years. I started in September of 1991. Woo! So quite some time. That's awesome. I enjoyed every minute of it. I've come up to the ranks, starting as a firefighter, just like everybody else, and Mm -hmm. tested and promoted up to the ranks through that time. I took this position, the Hazmat uh, Division, in 2014 when Ed Crowfish retired. So this is what I've been doing for the last seven, eight years.
1: (laughs) What made you want to take this position? Or like think, what made you interested in HAZMAT?
2: The challenge. I, I, like, I like the chemistry side of it. I like the unknown, so it kind of gives me a little bit of challenge. I like working with different responders throughout the state, so this gives me the opportunity to do that.
0: Can you tell our listeners what a day in the life is like for you?
2: Well, as the HAZMAT <laughs> coordinator, the HAZMAT division leaders, a lot of things that we do. I do a lot of inspections, do a lot of training here locally with the city of Davenport and our responders along with training for our departments that are out in the counties, Scott County, Clinton County, and Jackson County. So we do a lot of response along with training and meeting their needs when they have responses out there. Mm-hmm. So,
0: How many hazmat techs and specialists do
2: you have on have your team? We have 34 technicians and three specialists currently on our team. Okay, They're all moved throughout the department at different stations. But our hazmat station is located out of station six. So that's where a majority of them are stationed, but they, they're moved throughout the, throughout the city.
1: So why don't you let our listeners kind of know what exactly hazardous material mean and why do we need that team here in our community?
2: Well, hazardous materials is something that can harm you as an individual. You know, the funny thing is I always, I always call it a nugget, something that, that people don't know, but an average household has 60 pounds of hazardous materials in it. Whoa. And we don't look at that as hazardous materials, do we? Because we use it correctly, we don't use it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. But as we know across the country, we have seen fatal outcomes from people mixing household chemicals, creating different hazards, and that's why it's considered a hazardous material, something that will harm us as a person.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, why are you housed out of Station 6? Why is HAZMAT housed out of Station 6?
2: That station, it, it used to be housed at a central station years ago. Mm-hmm. In 1996, they started to put in the plans to refurbish that station or redo that station because they were moving HAZMAT over there so it would be able to have its own bay to move out of. So that was purpose of that is, is, is remodeling that station to fit that HAZMAT, more the center of town, more of an easy access to the interstates.
0: Okay, so will you eventually move again over to Station 3?
2: That remains to be seen. Okay. (laughs) Our territory is kind of unique. Um, Back in the late 90s, Iowa Homeland Security came across the state to all the responders and looked at a way that we could cover all 99 counties in the state of Iowa for hazmat coverage. So we came up with the regional concept. So 19 teams across the state have taken on counties and considered a regional hazmat team. So for us, we take on Scott County, Clinton, and Jackson. But what's unique here in, in Scott County is we also work with Bettendorf Fire, who has a hazmat team. So they take on the east side of Scott County, and we take on the west side. So it's kind of neat to have that relationship with yeah. them because they help us out, and we do the same with them.
1: Mm-hmm. So. so is it all— is the team completely made up of all Davenport Fire Department members?
2: Correct, yes. It's all Davenport responders, yes.
1: On average, how many calls does the team go out on on a year?
2: (laughs) Roughly about 30 a month that we go out on, and they can be anywhere from carbon monoxide calls to natural gas leaks to household smells, something of that nature that we respond to. So when we go out and do that, that might be some sort of investigating, Mm -hmm. monitoring, trying to find out what it is or containing some type of product that was spilled.
1: So that's what I always think of is when it comes to that is often like a semi-spilling or in my hometown they had one, something spilled into the creek. So yep. the fire department had to put like buffer things up.
2: Yep, try to contain it from making it any larger, what we call scene stabilization.
1: Yeah,
0: that was the first exposure I had of this. Can we talk about that? Can we talk a little bit about training and and what it takes to... Well, fully train someone on the HAZMAT team?
2: Currently, we have a, in the state of Iowa, first responders are required to have 40 hours, 24 hours of HAZMAT operations to be an operations level responder and that's most paid departments are operations level trained. When you have a HAZMAT team that's technician level trained, they're required to have 80 hours of training. So we get a lot of our training through the International Association of Firefighters that comes in and does our training. Uh, which requires 80 hours using special equipment, understanding meters, uh, using different type of equipment, as a matter of fact, using something as far as how to stop a leak on a rail car, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. So that 80 hours consists of all that, from hands-on, some class work, things of that nature.
0: Are you the one that gives that class?
2: No, not currently. We have an outside instructor that comes in and does that.
1: Are you hosting an 80-hour certification class soon, though?
2: We sure are. March 7th 7th through the 18th, the IFF is coming in to give us an 80-hour technician class.
1: So if I'm a Devport Fire uh, member and I want to become part of HAZMAT, is that just something they let you know or their captain know? Or how does it go? How does somebody get involved in it?
2: Yes, I send an email out to the department along with the other departments throughout the Quad Cities to let them in on it also because we can have outside individuals participate. So I'll send an email out and they'll respond back to me saying that they have an interest. Mm-hmm. So then we'll sign them up. It's a free class to the International Association, which is kind nice of for, nice for us as a department. Do you
0: get a lot of? people from the quad cities that just have an interest in, in learning more about hazmat
2: we sure do we got uh, muscatines coming up to our class we got six from muscatine coming the arsenal's coming bettendorf has a few and we got seven from our department okay so yeah
1: is that seven new guys or seven invilles that maybe some are already involved
2: some that are already on a department some of them are new individuals yes
1: wow Can you tell us a little bit about the equipment that you guys use and how it's different from regular?
2: The main equipment that we use is air monitors. So we're able to look at the air environment to see if there's something toxic in it that could harm us. So when somebody calls and says, I'm smelling something that isn't right or making me sick, Mm -hmm. we can use our air monitors to kind of see what's in the air to see if there is something toxic. That's some of the equipment we use. Some of the other things go above and beyond fire gear. We use what we call level A, level B, and level C. And some of them are encapsulating suits to protect our skin from toxics or we're inside a bubble, if you will, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: or a splash suit to protect our skin from any splash hazards. So some of that stuff is a little bit above and beyond the fire suit that we wear for different types of toxic atmospheres that we go into.
0: From time to time, you'll hear people talk about a W, WMD team. What is WMD? What's that stand for? What is it? It
2: stands for Weapons of Mass Destruction, or what we call CBERNY, chemical, biological, nuclear, radiological, or explosive. So we, in the state of Iowa, have three WMD teams. It's us, Council Bluffs, and Des Moines. Hmm. So we respond throughout the state of Iowa to assist any type of WMD. So what's ironic about that, we work under Iowa, home, Iowa Homeland Security, But we work with a National Guard unit called the 71st Civil Support Team, which is out of Des Moines. There's 57 of those teams throughout the the United States. So we work specifically with one right here in Iowa. So that's what their expertise is. So Mm -hmm. they come and assist us if if we need them in the event that we have something like that.
1: How often do those calls happen?
2: We've had a few concerns where we've responded, but they've never never equated into something. But we have had stuff out there at the call center, out there at the old Caterpillar plant for powders that have come in that we've had to take to the hygienics lab and get tested. So there are, they are out there. Wow. There's probably a bigger concern today with the things going on that we could see something. Sure, but We live in a pretty safe area in the Midwest in Iowa, mm-hmm. so we're pretty good here.
1: Yeah. I guess would our hazmat team or that team get called somewhere outside of our jurisdiction?
2: Absolutely, yes. We have a method. Uh, method. We have a memorandum of understanding with the state of Iowa Homeland Security. If they have something, us three teams will respond wherever they need us. As you've
0: done this job for so long, when you show up to a call, can you tell right away? Like, oh, I know what that smell is. That's X Y Z. Or do you have to use your air tester? It test depends.
2: Or? We'll use our clues to kind of identify. And once we start finding those clues, mm-hmm. we pretty much know what it is by then. Yeah. Whether it be placards or information from the driver, information from the facility management, we can start putting them clues together to figure out what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. But not always do we know what it is. Yeah. Sometimes it takes some investigative work. Yeah. Using pH paper, using our field knowledge, using our monitors and meters to mm-hmm. find out what it is.
1: What's the most interesting call that you've been on?
2: To me, they're all interesting. Mm-hmm. But the ones that you don't know what they are and you have to use some investigative work to figure out what it is, some field chemistry, some monitors, and start putting those clues together, that's probably the most fun,
1: do you have like to figure a, out what it is. Do you have a specific in, like instance in your mind that like pops up, like a home call of something
0: they mix? Yeah. What's your craziest <laughs> story that you can share on air? I don't
2: really have one particular story that really is interesting to me Mm -hmm. because they're all interesting. You know, somebody calls us because something isn't right or they're getting sick. So we go out and try to figure out what it is.
0: Has there ever been a time where you rolled up to a scene and you're like scared
2: to go investigate? Yeah, depending on what it is. Because a lot of times we respond to the hazards. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what the chemical is, per se. It, 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 what the hazard is what scares us. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that we go on, some sulfuric acid calls, large volumes of gasoline that could be explosive. Mm-hmm. Then what it can scare you, can make you think a little bit and be right. more cautious. So it's how you do things.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you have your 80-hour certification class.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So you recently returned from the National Fire Academy. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: I did. I went out there to the National Fire Academy to take an incident, managed cl- incident management class. That class was a class that was fully, the scope of it was to assist in setting the incident management system up for large-scale inter- incidents, i.e. a large, a large uh, rail car incident of that sort,
1: mm-hmm. kind of
2: putting that incident management system together so you have accountability and you have a direction that you want to go.
1: What's the most challenging part?
2: Probably the most challenging part that I would feel is being prepared, having that training to make sure that we're prepared and competent, yeah. you know, because you see so many different things out there, things that you wouldn't even think of. You know, when people start mixing chemicals together, you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. One chemical is easy to understand or easy to complete mitigate, but when you have multiple chemicals, you don't know what you're going to have. So probably just making sure we're prepared. What's,
1: like... The most common household thing that you like mistake that you see people make that
2: mixing ammonia with some type of type of Clorox cleaner. They always think if I make it stronger, it'll clean better. <laughs> and so what happens then? You create a secondary byproduct which becomes toxic and hazardous, and that's where we see our issues, not only residential but also commercial.
1: Hmm. Okay, so how about you know you get a call, you guys go to it. What does that kind of look like? Like how do you The cleanup. How
2: do you address the issue? That's that's where the misconception is. Fire departments or first responders don't do cleanup. We contain or try to mitigate as much as we can so the product so it doesn't get any bigger or any larger. Mm -hmm. So we do scene stabilization. That's the term that we like to use, and then we turn it over to a cleanup company. Oh. So if we get on scene, the first thing that we'll do is try to identify what's going on, isolate that product so we can get all life safety out of there. Mm -hmm. And then we'll start trying to identify the hazards or what it is and start to try to control that or confine it. And then after we do that, we get that scene stabilization. We'll turn it over to a cleanup company, whether it means placing it in booms, placing it in barrels, whatever the case may be.
1: Does living on the Mississippi, do you guys see more calls than if we weren't located by the river?
2: No, I wouldn't. Th- no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so.
1: Have you had any calls about, like, that you've had to, like, it wouldn't be oil
2: spills, but, like,
1: something with the river?
2: Yes, we do get stuff. Or from material that comes down the mater- down the river during floods.
0: Oh, sure. Barge
2: traffic where they have issues out there with the barge, but we don't usually take care of that.
0: So Jerry asked about um, some of the most challenging parts of your job. What's your favorite part about your job?
2: I think training. I enjoy training. Every Thursday we get together as a Hazmat team and we go over what we call JPRs or job performance requirements. Mm-hmm. So we have 24 job performance requirements that we requirements that we do each Thursday throughout the year that are based on the regulations and based off of NFPA or National Fire Protection requirements that we have to understand and know. It tests our competency. So we do that. So I find that interesting.
0: Sure.
1: What did you guys do last Thursday?
2: We did identification and classification. So we'll take an unknown chemical and we'll do field chemistry on it and use our tools to figure out what it is, what are the hazards and then identify what it is.
0: How often do you have to get like recertified or how often do you have to complete these trainings to stay up to date with
2: your It's based on the authority having jurisdiction or based on that oh, department because sure. the state has no no requirement for a certification right now. Oh. So the departments themselves require what's what, what they feel is a need to be recertified on an annual basis. So we do about 30, 31 or 32 hours a year after we do all our JPRs.
0: Okay. Is it all like classroom style or...?
2: It's all classroom, hands-on. Hands-on. So there'll be a lot of hands-on stuff.
0: Yeah. Hmm. It's cool. So you'll...
1: Go, like, out on calls in Clinton County mm-hmm. and Jackson County? Yes. Like, just normal health calls?
2: Just whatever they need us for, whatever they feel. When them volunteer departments show up, them operations level responders show up. If they need us, they call us to go out there and help them.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: So a few years back, we went up to Andrew High School because they were doing a lab experiment with some oxidizer, and it just got out of hand and kind of had a little bit of an explosion so we went up there and tried to contain that for them and then had somebody come up and clean it up for us.
0: Oh wow. Have you always been interested in chemistry like when you were in high school or never, anything like that? No.
2: Never never liked it. No. Yeah. I did not. I was I loved math. I always wanted to be an accountant. Okay. When I was growing up. So.
0: Um do you have other family members that were in the fire department? Like how did you get to this position.
2: Kind of interesting that you asked me that because when I graduated from high school I moved to Texas. Okay. And when I got down there I worked for my uncle at a glass blowing facility which was analytic glass blowing if you will. with pH bulbs. And my best friend that I met there his father-in-law and his brother-in-law were in the fire service in Houston Fire Department. He talked me into going to the academy. So I said what the heck, I'll go. <laughs> Tried it and loved it. That's awesome. Yep. So <laughs>
1: Is there a specific instance that pops in your mind when that like made you interested in hazmat? Like cause you had to be exposed to it I feel to gain the interest into it if no. you didn't like chemicals?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't I can't recall that time. No. I was assigned to station 6 when I was newer on the job in the late 90s and I was asked to go to hazmat the 80-hour class and I said okay. Mm-hmm. Cuz you never turn anything down when you mm-hmm. have the opportunity you take it. And then I just fell in love with it after that.
0: Do you have anything else that We should know or that you'd like to share with our listeners.
2: Just be safe. safe. (laughs) Don't mix chemicals. Yeah. That's that's a big hazard. And people think because they mix something, they can make it stronger, make it clean better. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. So be safe. Use things as they're intended to be used.
0: Uh, Captain Burchette, thank you so much for joining us today. This was super interesting. Thank Uh, you,
2: ladies, for having me. I truly do appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we learned something new today. Sure did. All right. Until next time.